This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Join me in the book of Acts, please. We're in the second chapter tonight. You'll remember the last time we were together in this book that we witnessed an event that actually happened 2,000 years ago on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. At that time, there was a structure on that rock slab, that limestone slab. Uh, Historians know it. We know it as Herod's Temple. It was surrounded by a colonnade uh, that they called Solomon's Porch, On the one corner, uh, on the northern side of that Temple Mount, there was actually a castle. It was a fortress, the Fortress of Antonio, and there was, uh, housed in that fortress, a legion of Roman troops. And their job was to police that 20 acres and all that structure and all those worshipers They would come at different times during the year. Of course, the Jews were there all through the year. But at various times, the place was packed uh, with Jews, with proselyte Jews. Passover was one of those times. And then Pentecost was another time. And it was during that first Pentecost after our Lord's resurrection. Of course, Pentecost means 50. It was literally 50 days After Jesus rose from the grave, he spent 40 days with his disciples. He ascended, and then there were 10 days where they awaited the promise of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'm going to go back to heaven, but I will send a comforter of the very same kind. Of course, it's a reference to the Trinity, the third person of the Godhead. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And he is going to empower you uh, to do great work for me. And of course, that work was gospel proclamation. And Jesus even said this as he discipled the disciples. He said, and you're going to do greater works than I have done. And of course, he was referring to what they would accomplish globally through the indwelling spirit of God. And so our text tonight is the culmination of the Holy Spirit's coming at Pentecost. Again, last week we saw that the timing of his coming was significant. When 50 days after Jesus' resurrection, the church is born. The Spirit's coming was with a mighty entrance that appeared as tongues, cloven tongues on fire, The Holy Spirit entered those believers, and the believers' tongues then were empowered to witness. The Bible tells us they spoke with other tongues or in other languages, so those who were not part of this band of believers, they heard the sound of a wind, probably that sounded uh, similar to what, what it would be like if you were at the seashore and heard those waves coming in. 
They heard that, and then as they moved towards that sound, they began to hear praise to God, but some of them stopped because although they're in, uh, in jewelry, they're hearing this praise in their own tongues. And Acts tells us that there were people there from all over the known world, but they're hearing in their own languages. And so the Holy Spirit through his coming, also then gathers or draws these people to, to see what is happening. And we noted that when the child of God is spirit-filled, spirit-controlled, every Christian receives the Holy Spirit when you get saved. But when we are controlled by the Holy Spirit, there will be power through us that God uses to draw souls to himself so that you can declare a gospel witness. Now let me just share a personal testimony tonight. And I think this will encourage you. Frankly, it surprised me a little bit this week. Let me tell you what happened. I get up Thanksgiving morning, and I go to where I'm at in my Bible reading, reading through the Bible this year, and I'm reading through the book of Daniel. And I think I read that morning five chapters in Daniel. What a fascinating book. You'll remember that in Daniel, he interprets two dreams from Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, but one of those dreams talks about that statue. And, and Nebuchadnezzar sees this statue. It's made up of different kinds of precious metals, representing, though, the coming empires. There's, of course, Babylon, and then you have Persia and Greece, Rome, and so on. So Nebuchadnezzar sees this, and, and, and uh, you remember what, what the prophecy says. So I, I, I had my time with the Lord that morning, and uh, then we get to Thanksgiving dinner. And it was at our Kalen's place, and, and uh, we were, again, on a Marine Corps base. But uh, other Marines... <laughs> Were, had been invited, and, and I don't know that they even knew how many were going to show up. So one of the Marines shows up, and he's got, he's got his girlfriend with him. And after we are done eating, we, she and I were just visiting. And she said, I'm Chaldean. I said, Chaldean? She goes, yeah, there are about a million of us. We, a lot of us live in Michigan. She said, here's my language, it's not uh, Aramaic, it's Arabic. And she said, the, the, those who speak the other language are Assyrian. She said, I'm Chaldean. And I started asking questions. And, and she's talking about this, and I said, well, first of all, I didn't know that there were any Chaldeans. She said, yeah, and I started, I said, have you read the book of Daniel? No, I said, it's in the Bible, it's a prophecy. And I started to talk about what I had read that morning in the book of Daniel. And I said, those are your people. It was funny because I said, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, he was a king, he was full of himself. And she said, well, that describes the Chaldeans. <laughs> I, I had to laugh. I said, well, this, he was a piece of work, but God saved him. 
And in fact, some of our Old Testament is in Chaldean because he declares a testimony and praise to God after God worked him over and, and he, uh, he came to know the Lord. And she said, I think you know more of our history than my people do. I said, well, it's all in the Bible. But, but here was the point. Here, was, here we were, Christian home, number of us, and dwelt by the Spirit of God. Had, had that morning spent time with the Lord, and that afternoon, having all, all of us eating together, where does the conversation go? I could not have planned it any better. Did I know that any Chaldeans were going to show up to Thanksgiving dinner? No. But God did. And because I yielded the Spirit that morning, you know what? He had things planned for the day. And I got to see him draw. And, and it caught, caught me by attention because you know, there was a lot of activity. She and I, I'm sitting on a couch. She's still sitting at the Thanksgiving table. We're having this conversation, and pretty soon it was absolutely quiet. And all those Marines and all my family, they're all listening in. I had an audience and a wide-open door to share the gospel. I didn't plan it. I didn't deserve to be part of it. God did it. Now, I know where she lives, and there are some wonderful churches up there. In fact, we support a missionary up there in Michigan. She is not Muslim. She said a lot of, a lot of people think that, that we're Muslim. She said, we're Catholic. I said, have you ever heard of the Magi? She goes, uh, no. Have you heard of the wise men? Christmas story. Oh, yeah. So well, let me tell you who the Magi were. They were kingmakers, right? They survived the Persian. They were Chaldeans who, who survived the overtake of Persia when, when, they, when they took over. And I said, uh, but they followed a star one night that led them around the Fertile Crescent and into Bethlehem. Do you know where they got the information as stargazers to follow that star? They had a teacher, and his name was Daniel. And these guys did the math, and they were waiting for Daniel's 70 weeks. And at the time appointed, they're looking up, and a star starts moving. I said, and, and so it wasn't a surprise to me that with, with what happened with Daniel, these kingmakers, they came looking for him who was to be born king of the Jews. It wasn't a surprise to me that out of that Chaldean group, that you have people who claim to be Christian today. So we got to talk about all that too. Now that, that fits right in with what we're going to see tonight in this text. And so as we, as we move forward, let me just give some background of what is going to happen here. They're all gathered together, and this brings us to the first preaching meeting after Pentecost. As God shows it will be by the foolishness of preaching that he will save them that believe. They're all gathered together and they didn't divide up into small groups. Somebody, and I'm not against small groups, don't misunderstand, somebody stood up and preached a message, preached the gospel. 
This will be the Spirit-ordained method for gospel proclamation, and Peter will preach the first message. Now let me just pause for a moment and make a, make a note to you preachers here tonight. And I, I see missionaries and fellow pastors, retired pastors, you're all over the place here this evening, okay? What's interesting is the sermon that Peter preaches is a spontaneous and spirit-led, it goes together, message that presented a plenary, a complete understanding of God's working in the scriptures. Now, I'm not suggesting to you men that your preaching should always be just spontaneous. Sometimes you're going to have an opportunity to preach a spontaneous message. Always have your guns loaded. Okay? No, God does want us to give ourselves to prayer and the preparation of the word and to doctrine. But it is so important that we be students of the word because you're never going to know when you might have an opportunity to stand and proclaim. I did it right after Thanksgiving dinner. You are going to have to be prepared. But what's interesting is Peter uses passages in the Old Testament, that may be abstract to us, but they weren't abstract to that fisherman. He, he had a working understanding of God's word. He knew exactly how all of that fit into God's plan for what was happening right there at Pentecost. And that's convicting to me. But by the way, church family, it's not the preachers here only who need to understand how all this fits together. You need to know it too. And I'm so thankful that you do know it. You're here tonight. You're here to learn. Some of you are taking notes. You need to understand how all this fits together because if you're spirit-controlled, you're going to have opportunities to share the gospel and, and, and God wants to use you to draw people to himself too. So a wonderful passage. I've entitled tonight's message, Peter's Clarification of Pentecost. Peter's Clarification of Pentecost. And we're going to see how he clarifies it so effectively through the Spirit's leading and through his knowledge of God's word. So Peter begins by stating that they were hearing, what they were hearing, rather, at Pentecost, was predicted by one of their prophets, the prophet Joel. And so, if you've read through this message, it, 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 it's a lengthy message. If you're reading it, if you read it, though, and you time yourself, it's not that long. The message he gave at Pentecost was actually pretty brief, but it was very powerful. And I hope after tonight you won't see this message in the same light, what Peter preached. So here's how he begins. He says this, Pentecost was predicted by Joel. Pentecost was predicted by Joel, the prophet. Through that prophet, God said, what you're experiencing was going to happen, though his prediction was a few hundred years ago. So look at chapter 2 and verse 14 now. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, 
And all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunk, and as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. The world is amazing. When they, when they don't understand something, they just throw, throw out a prediction. And when this started to happen and people started running towards this sound and started hearing this praise to God, some of them said, oh boy, we've got drunk people up here. That's a paraphrase. <laughs> That's what they thought. And so Peter first confronts that. It's the third hour of the day. It's 9 a.m. in the morning. And it is also the time when the Jews would gather up there for prayer. These aren't drunk folks. And, and by making that one statement, Peter just silenced the critics. Put that to rest. Verse 16. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet, and who's he named? Joel. Verse 17. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And here are the supernatural results. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Now let's stop. They're going to proclaim God's truth. They're, they're going to declare it. Thus saith the Lord. Watch. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Let's stop. That's, that's not weird. That is the supernatural working of God. Question, did Paul see any visions? Sure he did. He saw a man in Macedonia saying, come help us. Okay. You'll remember that one of the first deacons was later led of the Lord. He was a preacher, and his name escapes me right now, but he was led into the wilderness to meet with the Ethiopian eunuch. What was Philip? Thank you. All right. He is told by the Lord, here's where you need to go. In fact, the Lord takes him down there, sets him down in the desert where he sees a man in a chariot. Right? These are the supernatural things that Joel predicted would happen after the coming of the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, and on my servants and on my handmaidens, everybody I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy. Now this is from Joel chapter 2 verses 28 to 32. Then Peter includes from Joel's prophecy the fact that the Spirit's gracious work will come just before God's judicial work. Of course that will happen when Jesus returns at the end of the tribulation. So God's gracious work through Christ will come just before God's judicial work when Jesus comes back the second time. First time as Redeemer, second time to reign. And if you've rejected him, that's not going to be a good time for you. All right? Both are included here. And that's why we read in verse 19, And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord come. 
Now, Peter is preaching, and he's going to present the gospel, but what Joel predicts and what Peter brings into his message is a message of judgment if you don't receive Messiah. Take a look at that word notable. Let me give you the Greek word. See if you can recognize an English word that we use out of that. Epiphania. What, what word do you hear? Epiphania. Epiphany. That is the word where we get the word epiphany. It's talking about a revealing of Messiah. When we come to the Christmas season, we talk about the epiphany. Christ's first coming. Here, Peter is quoting Joel who's talking about not only his first, the, the first coming and the coming of the Holy Spirit, but at the end of his work, this second epiphania. He's coming back and it's a notable day But at the end, that second coming, he'll be coming in judgment. Now look at what happens in between. And this is what Peter is focused on now that this crowd is gathered in front of him. Verse 21, and he's quoting Joel here. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. They'll be saved. Now what these Jews on the Temple Mount were witnessing was not drunk speech, but prophetic fulfillment. And also a prelude to the second coming of Christ. That's the first part of his message. Peter doesn't stop here though. Not only was what they were seeing predicted, they also had witnessed the powerful proof of Jesus' life. And that now is what Peter's going to transition into, into his message. He's going to talk about the first epiphany. So the powerful proof by Jesus. This is part two of his message. Now these three proofs of Jesus being Messiah are evidence, this powerful proof, evidenced by three things. And here are his subpoints in the message. First of all, Jesus' miracles. Secondly, Jesus' resurrection. And then third, do you know that Jesus predicted Pentecost? So he's going to say to this audience, look, you know who Jesus is. You saw his miracles. You know who Jesus is because he did rise from the grave. And oh, by the way, what you witnessed just moments ago up here, yeah, Jesus predicted that too. Now, what do you think? Did he have their attention? <laughs> I think on that busy Temple Mount, the perverse, you could have heard a coin drop. All right. So these three proofs, let's look at them now in his message. First of all, his miracles, Jesus' miracles. Look at verse 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God, literally appointed, designated by God among you, by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by or through him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. He's saying, you folks know the proof of what I'm saying. Consider this. No doubt on that Temple Mount that day, 
there were people who had experienced the very miracles. Or they were related to somebody who had experienced one of these miracles. Or perhaps their neighbor, they knew it was true. And that's what he's saying. You yourselves also know this. And then he moves on from the miracles to Jesus' resurrection. Verse 23, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. It was predetermined. It was pre-established. What God did, here's what you did. Ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Next verse, this is whom you put to death. And God hath raised him up, having loosed the pains of death, because it is not possible that he should be holden of it. In other words, death could not keep him. One of our songwriters talks about that. Death could not hold him, could not keep him. And this too was predicted in Psalm 16, verses 8 to 11. So Peter declares the reality and then he hears the prophecy. Now he shares the prophecy. And he, he quotes from Psalm 16, verse 25. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, because... Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy Holy One to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life, thou, and thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Now these verses are messianic. They're pointing to Jesus. David was encouraged by them because they were all referenced to him. Uh, Psalm 1611 is our church's theme verse. And I love that. I didn't pick it, but I love the fact somebody here did because it is so rich. Thou will show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Do you know that Jesus is experiencing that right now because it was said about him? But David is experiencing that right now because it applied to him. And oh, by the way, good news, someday we're going to be before the throne and it's going to apply to us. What a great passage of scripture. But Peter pulls it in here and accurately applies it because it was speaking of Jesus. Peter then reminds them David was not speaking of himself. Since David died, they knew where his grave was. He wants to make it clear, as they're listening to his message, I'm not talking about David. Look at verse 29. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, speaking of the Davidic covenant, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ. God would raise up Christ, Messiah, to sit on his throne, David's throne. He's seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ. 
that his soul was not left in hell, neither his, his flesh did seek corruption. Verse 32, this Jesus hath God raised of, whereof we, and what's the next word? We all are witnesses. You know what I'm talking about because you are witness to it. Now, I've read through this message, I don't know how many times that Peter preached. And, and it's always been interesting to me that at the end, the Holy Spirit so worked that they realize we're guilty. What do we need to do to fix this? But as you start to take apart this message, when Peter gets to this point, once again, the conviction just has to be gripping these thousands that are listening. So the prophet Joel, Peter's testimony of Jesus' life, David's testimony in the Psalms all testified to Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah. And Peter's audience knew it to be true. And again, as a preacher of the gospel to you preachers, this is spontaneous. But this is the Holy Spirit speaking through the man of God who's yielded. Peter then states the final powerful proof that Jesus is Messiah. Jesus stated that after his death and resurrection, he would send his Holy Spirit. He predicted it. He told it to the disciples but now watch as Jesus says that he will send his spirit. It's predicted, though, by David. Verse 33, Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, speaking of Christ, receiving the promise, he has shed forth this. So he's saying, Jesus has sent the Spirit of God. And this is a reference to not only his coming, but all that you have witnessed to let you know he has come. Which ye now see and what? Here. It's not just what they were seeing, it's what they heard. That's what drew them there. Peter says that this too was predicted by David's testimony and prophecy. Verse 34. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself... Now he quotes Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. I can't read that without thinking about the fact that someday every knee is going to bow and every tongue will declare that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's going to happen. So this brings the message full circle and back to Joel's prophecy. David and Joel agree about Christ's first coming to redeem and his second coming to reign. This isn't Peter nervously just uttering things. This was the Holy Spirit through the servant of God delivering a powerful, meaningful, complete message to thousands that heard him preach. 
And then Peter concludes his message. Verse 36, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made this same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. He's Messiah, and now he reigns. Peter's clarification of Pentecost was not, or was very personal to those who listened to his message that day. But it's also very personal for us. What do I mean? Well, the Savior's work of dying for sin, rising again, and sending His Holy Spirit at Pentecost was intended for every sinner. So when Peter looks at him and says, you crucified Messiah, I read this text and I realize, you know what, he's pointing the finger at me too. I put him on the cross. You put him on the cross. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, right? But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, Jew, Gentile, should not perish, but have everlasting life. And what is the promise? That if I'll believe on the, admit I'm a sinner, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, I'll not only be saved, but at the moment I am saved, the Holy Spirit of God supernaturally places me into the body of Christ, and He comes and lives inside me and gives me a brand new nature. And that is my life. That is my eternal life. That is my transformed life. And if I will yield to him, as we saw back in Acts 1.8, he gives me authority and empowers me to be a bold witness for the gospel. And that's just not me. You young guys, I'm a little bit older, not much. But this is, this is you guys. You guys, you young ladies, young men, older men, what did Joel predict? Anyone who receives the Spirit of God by faith in Christ, this is the powerful result, and God uses them mighty, mightily for the proclamation of the gospel. This is who we are if we will yield. So Peter's message reminds us that we crucified Jesus, but now he sits at the Father's right hand, exalted, and whoever will believe on him will be indwelt by his Spirit. Become children of God, have a home in heaven, sins forgiven, home in heaven, and then a new mission here. Doesn't matter what your vocation is, how you pay the bills. Again, you can bring glory to God through that, and we should. But our primary vocation here is to yield to the Spirit of God so that wherever He places us in the, in the harvest field, this is the powerful working that He does through us through the message of His Word. Joel's words can be your words. David's words can be your words. Jesus' words must be your words. Declaring that to a world that's in darkness spiritually, without hope. 
And we can provide that hope. And remember, we must all stand before him. Someday we'll give proof of who he is. We cannot escape if we neglect his great salvation. So if you're here tonight without Jesus Christ, you need to believe on him and be saved. You need to start there. Let him wash you clean. Wash your sin away, past, present, future. He'll wash it away by his blood. Give you eternal life and then indwell you by his spirit so that your life has the meaning for which you were created. Let me just close with this burden. After a message like this, I again, I, I just spent time with my children who are now adults and have their own families. But my burden is that the young people who are coming up in this church have a faith that is owned and real where you are convinced that Jesus is who he said he was. A message like this tonight ought to convince you. But here's the reality. Circumstances and also your sin can blind you to these realities where you question, well, I'm not sure there's a God. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Parents, if you're dealing with any of that, young people, if you're struggling with any of that, I hope you'll go back and listen to tonight's message. Because the Word of God gives us in a snapshot God's eternal plan, and it fits together like this. And oh, by the way, it is solid rock. You build your faith in your life on that rock, storms can come, it's not going to move you. But in this day, with all these opinions and all these attitudes, and who's right, and your truth and my truth, no, there's only one truth. And if you build on anything else other than that, your house is not going to stand. The storms are coming. We talked about that this morning. They're coming. But those who build here, your house is going to stand. We need to pray for these young people that they'll listen to the word of God and even a message like tonight, be convinced by the spirit of God. There is no other way. And I've got to trust him. And it won't discipline. How many times does God tell us in his word, and you won't be ashamed? And you won't be ashamed. None of us are going to get to heaven having placed our faith here and realized, well, boy, did we get that wrong. Not going to happen. It is assured. So may God help us to go forth this week, controlled by the Spirit of God, taking the message of God to a world that once hope they need to hear. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this message that Peter preached. Perhaps even earlier today when we announced that this would be what the text that we're looking at tonight, perhaps some thought, well, that's not the most exciting part of the book of Acts. But God, it's the first message in the book of Acts that was preached and Lord, what a powerful message it was. So powerful that we're going to witness that 3,000 souls
turn in faith to Jesus Christ. Now, Lord, this message has been preached here tonight, Peter's message. And Father, I would ask that if there's anyone here who has never admitted to you they're a sinner and been saved, that tonight would be the night that they come to you. Save souls here. And then, Lord, would you help your children and dwelt by your spirit to commit ourselves to spirit yieldedness so that you can work through us with your word to see powerful change in the lives of others. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.